Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. In past programs, we have talked about the concept of nullification. Nullification is one of the three tools given to we the people by the framers of the Constitution to prevent the usurpation of power by the government. The federal government was formed by the voluntary agreement of 13 states, each of whom was an equal partner in a contract that formed a separate entity, namely the federal government. That central government, limited in power and authority by the Constitution, was the creation of that contract and not a party to it. The sovereignty of each state was protected and secured along with that of the citizens of each state. The framers gave us nullification, interposition, and secession as the three tools by which individuals and states could control and legally limit the federal government. How these tools have been defeated and weakened over the past century is a topic that we have discussed in numerous Freedom Forum radio programs over the past five years. Now, related to nullification of federal overreach by the states is the right of juries to consider the constitutionality and moral standing of a law when reaching a verdict. This is called jury nullification a concept upheld by British law before the American War of Independence and reaffirmed by our court system after the Constitution was written. In 1670, William Penn was acquitted by a jury of his peers for the crime of preaching in public, which he actually was doing when he was arrested by King George's soldiers. He was acquitted, and the judge sent four jurors to jail. But that decision was subsequently overturned by a higher court. Now, Thomas Jefferson said, and I quote, I consider trial by jury as the only anchor ever yet imagined by man by which a government can be held to the principles of the Constitution. Now, before the War of Northern Aggression, jury nullification was used to assist slaves escaping via the Underground Railway. Jury nullification was also used during Prohibition to oppose enforcement of a very unpopular constitutional amendment. In 1975, Justice Byron White said, and I quote, The purpose of a jury is to guard against the exercise of arbitrary power. Now, 
Donald Fielder, a noted defense attorney, had this to say about the rights of jurors to employ jury nullification in reaching verdicts. When the jury room door is closed, the jury is a power unto themselves. They can do what they feel is right, notwithstanding what the judge's instructions are. Their decision is what 12 minds determined to be the appropriate verdict in that case, considering the facts and the application of the law to them. So that's our subject of discussion, and my guest is Bear Marucci. Bear, welcome to Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you very much, Dr. Dan. Uh, I appreciate you giving me the time to uh, be able to discuss this, what I feel is a very, very important topic, and I very much appreciate the, the formula to do it with. Well, Bear, it is great to have you here. I will tell my listeners you, in response to a post on my website, Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum, you wrote me a very well-written and cogent article on jury nullification. I read it, and I said, this is a guy i got to get on the radio. So before we dive into the subject itself, Bear, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you, where are you, and how did you get where you are? Okay, well, uh, basically, um, I'm in Greenville, North Carolina now. Uh, I'm a retired nuclear medicine technologist after 18 years working in the hospital. Before that time, I was—I uh, used to tell—I tell people that I actually retired when I got out of high school and spent the next 25 years riding motorcycles and basically having a good time and just not really paying that much attention. I always voted, but you know, I always thought the system was kind of rigged anyway, so I never really paid too much attention to it. Once I retired, um, I then got into kind of studying and reading the Constitution for myself and, and was just amazed and still am to this day when I go back and do my research at how bright the Founding Fathers were and writing this document and how knowledgeable in all forms of it. So um, I basically spent 25 years having a good time and riding motorcycles and being in clubs and then got serious and, and, and actually went to school. Uh, paid for myself uh, by working on the weekends and, you know, doing what I had to do in order to make the uh, you know, be able to go to school and just really applying myself, you know. Uh, it paid off with God's blessing. I, you know, I always ask him for help in the situation, but uh, he, he's, been, he's been blessed me many times. And so now I find myself in a position where I, I hear commentators, politicians, lawyers, you know, talking heads on TVs. Uh, everybody seems to be so uh, aghast of what's going on, and yet nobody seems to know what can we do about it. It's almost like I was thinking... For sure, they couldn't have. Founding fathers couldn't have given us this, and 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 not have it any way out of it. And so that's what led to my reading it up on jury notification and actually realizing it as an important tool to be used today. I mean, that's a really incredible story and a great journey, um, obviously that you have had. It's broadened your experience. Your experiences have broadened your ability or given you the ability to be inquisitive, and you obviously have taken good advantage of that. Uh, and, that, and that really is what patriotism is all about. It's about recognizing an issue and not just standing on a soapbox and screaming and yelling, but actually becoming informed about a subject of that you think is important and going ahead and getting the necessary information so that when you speak, you know what you're talking about. So what you've told me is, is very impressive, and I think... Uh, uh, I'm I'm really happy that you wrote me that essay. I'm happy that we have you on Freedom Forum Radio. So, Bear, let's talk about jury nullification. First of all, 
explain in in layman's terms that so we all can understand what exactly is jury nullification okay well to my research i've come to realize that it has always the jury in our system of jurisprudence in this company uh, country has always had two functions uh because of the fact that they don't teach civics classes in high schools anymore uh, a lot of that knowledge is not being passed on as far as our founding fathers and and the uniqueness of america i'm not saying we're never make a mistake. I'm just saying that our form of government is unique. And the gentleman who wrote this, uh, wrote our, our Constitution and the jury system that we have in place understood this. But basically, the jury not only decides is to decide the, uh, whether or not the person is guilty or innocent of what he's being charged with in the court, but it has also been, and just as important, the jury to decide as to whether or not the law is, one, constitutional, two, is being a applied fairly in the instance in which it's in front of the court uh, or the trial is being held at and if not to be able to be the final say and say no this is not the way the law is written or this is not the way it should be you know i think it should be interpreted uh basically you had a a, a jury of 12 and, and you, like you said earlier i mean this goes back to the times of the magna carta but they as a jury of 12 they knew at the time that you know Maybe two out of the 12 would be exceptionally bright, two would be exceptionally not bright, the rest would fall in the middle. But the point was that the jurors also had the right in determining whether the validity of the law, that it was, as it was being applied, but they had to go by, basically a lot of them back then couldn't even read, you know, they went by their sense of fairness. Is this law being applied fairly? Is it even a fair law? Okay, We have been told since, I know, as a kid that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. And now, thank God, our founding fathers wrote it so that it was understandable. And one quote that I'd just like to say that has really opened my eyes to the whole process of what's going on even in Washington to this day is by Thomas Jefferson, where he said that, uh, and I'm quoting here, laws are made for men of ordinary understanding and should therefore be construed by the ordinary rules of common sense. Their meaning is not to be sought for uh, sought for in a metaphysical which may make anything mean everything or nothing at all. And so he was basically saying, you know, you, a law should be written so that anybody could pick it up and read it. You don't need a lawyer, you don't need a, uh, you know, a, a, a politician to explain to you what the law was. And that, thank God, is how they wrote the Constitution. You know, you've raised in this discussion some really important and very critical points. Uh, first of all, laws should be simply written and easy to understand by common people. That That is really something that we have gotten away for. You look at the Obamacare bill, 2,700 pages. Uh, you look at the IRS code, 72,000 pages. There's, there's no way that the ordinary person uh, can read it. Plus, the laws are written by lawyers, and it's written in legal terms, which who knows what they mean. I guess a small group of people may be able to discern what they mean, but it's not common English. And you contrast that to the Constitution, four handwritten pages, every single word of which is clear and unmistakable in its meaning. Uh, and and that is really what you've talked about so eloquently is the fact that we that was the basis of our nation common sense 
laws that had a purpose for them. Right now we have hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of laws on the books, many of which are completely meaningless or impossible to enforce. No common sense and no simplicity. So how does jury nullification work? In other words, if you're a juror and you're going to be sitting at a trial, how does, how does that whole thing work? Okay, well, what it is is once you are selected to be on the jury, uh, you, can, uh, you are untouchable as far as any decisions that you should make as a juror. You, you have been picked to, to preside over this case, to come up with your findings, and you can't be held liable, you know, like, uh, because you know, the judge could say, well, I don't, I don't like your opinion, or, you know, it, it, that's what the whole, the whole risk of going to jury trial. I say risk because a lot of times what the government does is even though the law is unconstitutional, they basically lie and tell people, well, look, you know, you can hop to a plea deal for a lesser term, or you can take, God forbid, that terrible chance of going to a jury trial. Well, actually, the jury trial is our, is it's what actually is the thing that allows us to stop the government from being in out of control with its laws or its mandates that it passes. You know, you People, if they understood the concept of jury nullification, would know that it just takes one person to hang a jury. You know, that, that no, I don't think it's fair. Now, I have been in a position one time, and in fact, that I hung the jury, and uh, I, I just didn't believe what the, the, the person who was being charged with, what his answers were, his explanations. And uh, it was kind of interesting that during the jury process, you know, when we went to deliberate, deliberate, you know, we take a vote, and you see who's for it against the Star Wars, and then people talk it back and forth and bring up different points. I got feeling this wasn't this guy was lying, and and uh, you know I could see where his lawyer was lying. I was listening to him make contradictions to himself right in the courtroom, but nobody seemed to pick up on it. Bottom line was the jury was you know my other people on the jury with me. You know, at first they were kind of you know willing to listen, but then as the, the time went, it kind of felt like well. Uh, so we got to come up with an answer to this. You know, it's getting kind of late. And, um, you know, they kept voting, and then I was the only one that was holding out. And then so we went out to talk to the judge, and the judge said, uh, okay, well, I'm going to ask you to go back in again and see if you can't come up with something. And we went back, and at this point, my, the other jurors started to try to berate me. They said, well, uh, you know, you work for the hospital, and, and you're going to get paid anyway, whether you, uh, you know, uh, you're losing time. If it takes another day or two, you're still going to get your pay. And almost as if that was a reason to rush the, the judgment through or to do what the judge wanted or, to, you know, the case. And I stopped him right there and I said, now, wait a minute. You had just as much chance as anybody else who selected for this jury you, to, to take it or to try to get out of it. You decided to take it. That means I have a legitimate disagreement. I do not think this person is being truthful. And I'm not going to vote just so we can all go home. Well, that didn't make for a very comfortable feeling in the jury room, but... Uh, you know, that didn't really bother me one way or the other. I mean, it's just the way I felt. And, uh, you know, they had to deal with it. But anyway, another hour or two went by, and we ended up going back out to the uh, courtroom, and the judge was there, and the defendants, and the lawyers, and they all were looking kind of sleepy at this point. And uh, the judge asked the foreman, and said, uh, you know, they told him they were still deadlocked. Uh, he said, do you, well, do you think any more time if we come back tomorrow? And they all kind of shook their head like, no, no, no. We're not going to They didn't say it, but you can see the look on their eye with, no, we're not going to convince this guy otherwise, you know. And so I was able to, just because I didn't think it was fair, it was just too many things that didn't 
right with me. And then, as it turned out later, I you know talked to the uh, the, the prosecuting uh, the, the assistant district attorney, and he told me that actually she almost had this person ready to cop to a, a lesser charge and not face trial, and that actually the night before the, the, the trial was to begin, apparently she said he talked to a, uh, a jailhouse lawyer, you know, in jail with him, and it was kind of like a he said she said thing, and and so they went to court. But uh, I I kind of had that feeling. But it just bothered me that my own jurors all of a sudden now, you know, you take your responsibility. The country doesn't ask much for you. I've never served in the military. I have the utmost respect for people. That's tremendous for them to do that. But that being said, what what does really ask of me? I mean, there'll be a good citizen to participate, not, you know, robbing and killing people, but, but also to serve your time on jury duty. And that is so key into this whole system really working and stopping the government when they're out of hand is if everybody takes steps up to the plate and takes their time and then uses the basic rules of common sense when they're sitting at the trial and their knowledge of the Constitution, which, again, it's not hard to read, uh, you know, uh, would actually get them through it. So you need to realize it's not complaining about jury duty. It's not the end of the world. Believe me, you, you, will, you know, it might take up some of your time think of the benefit. It's one of the things you do as citizens of this great country, you know, again, far from perfect, but still better than any place else in the world that I've seen, you know, uh, that we have to do in order to keep it going, because otherwise we are letting ourselves open, leaving ourselves open, and in fact, in, almost inviting the powers that be now, whether the one world government, or I personally, you know, I feel both parties are involved neck deep in this, you know. I don't believe the Founding Fathers ever intended for career politicians. It was supposed to be a civic duty that your fellow people that you lived in your area thought that, well, okay, this guy's got a good head on his shoulders. He can go to Washington and represent us. They would. They would supposed, you know, do it for two years, do their civic duty, and then come back. They were making more money, you know, doing whatever they did normally before they went to Congress, but they took that sacrifice and went to court, you know, went to Congress and did their two years, and then when they got out, somebody else could go and do it. And that, you know, we've lost that. We've got people that are in there 30, 40 years. That, that to me, is ridiculous, you know. So you've talked about one of the, the, what I'm interested in is the practical aspects of jury nullification. Um, and you've hit upon one, if, if I were, for instance, or someone were to talk to me about jury nullification, uh, I'm sure one of the points they'd, be, they'd bring up is that fact that, if you're the only person sitting there preventing the jury from reaching a decision, those other people are going to get pretty angry at you. And there's an awful lot of peer pressure there to say, come on, let's get this over with, let's get out of here. So you better have yourself in your own mind, you better be comfortable in your own mind that what you're doing is being done for the correct principles. Wouldn't you say so? Absolutely. And a classic example that I give, now I've been in North Carolina 35 years, but formerly I'm from New York, so when I go up to New York, you know, to visit club members and everything, I I have a concealed carry permit, but New Jersey and New York are so, uh, you know, to be avoided as far as having, you know, guns, uh, that I don't bring my, bring it with me, so I tell people in New York, I said, you know, how it would work is if, if I decided to ride up to New York and I brought my gun for my own protection, and I've had it, you know, this, this permit for like, you know, eight or nine years, haven't killed anybody, haven't done anything stupid with it. I mean, it's just a protection for myself and my fiance is a quadriplegic, you know, and, and so by pushing her around in a wheelchair and everything, you know, as we're going about, she lives independently. 
uh, you know, I need some form of protection because God forbid something happens to me, she is totally, you know, would be left in the cold. So I tell people, I said, you know, suppose I rode up to New York and I got stopped in New York, just a routine traffic stop, and, and they found out that I had a gun on me. Now, the Second Amendment says that your right to keep and bear arms will not be infringed. And the only way I can interpret that using common sense is, is not at all be infringed. So then telling me that I can't have the means to protect myself when I'm traveling, okay, is, does not stand up to the Constitution. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything gonna be all right this morning.